Uh, If you don't know, we're doing a series. It's called Ignorant. Yeah, I don't know. I I chose that for better or for worse. Uh, Because we can be ignorant of things. So two weeks ago, we looked at the flow of culture and how there's been this pressure that's moving us in a certain direction. And it's very autonomous. Uh, The world is now being framed not as sin needing salvation, but rather oppressed versus oppressor. And it's reshaped things. We need to be aware of that when we have conversations, like that's what's happening. Um, And there's a lot of like, ugh, that comes with this new culture that we live in. So based on that, how do we now walk out some very difficult topics? And so last week, we looked at homosexuality. This week, we're looking at what I think is a more difficult topic, uh, and it's the transgender topic. Uh, It's more difficult because it's not like it's clear in the Bible. You can just say, here's the verses like we did last week. But I think it's more difficult because the conversation around it is very prominent right now. And it's, it's sending out these waves that are causing a lot of like, okay, what do we do about that? What bathroom does somebody use now, right? Um... What locker room do they get to go in? So you've probably seen this. I mentioned this four months ago. Uh, In Pennsylvania, there was a 16-year-old girl who was changing the locker room. She had no idea there was a policy change. It hadn't been expressed to the students yet. And as she's changing, she's stripping down and she looks behind her and there is a biological male in his underwear watching her. And so she freaks out about that, wraps herself in a towel, feels, you know, unhappy about that situation, tells the gym coach, and what she's told is, this is the way it is. And she was actually made to feel like, you're the bad guy. And she's like, wait a second. This is not right. Right? And that is actually working its way through court right now. Or the 50-year-old male coach back in December, he's in Florida, he was told, hey, from now on, we're, we're going to have boys and girls shower together, and it's your job to watch over the shower facilities as a gym coach. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. That's not healthy for me as a 50-year-old. And that's not healthy for these boys as well. And so he objected to this. And there was uh, a Freedom of Information Act that was actually put in his, uh, he wanted to know what was going on behind the scenes. And the, the people that were in charge, the admin was like, we just got to shut him down. We can't let this go out. This is the way things are going to be. You just got to accept it. And that's working its way through court right now. So it's been like disruptive. Are there Boy Scouts anymore? No. They're called the BSA Scouts, and it's open to anyone, whatever you decide that you are. So it's like, it's wide. Four weeks ago, our lovely neighbors to the south of us, the Californians, which were most of us, so, they passed an act. You can look it up. It's called ACR number 99. And it said this, this was just four weeks ago, that from now on, pastors and churches must affirm transgenders. So that's what, what's that going to, that's going to work through the court system as well. What's that going to mean, right? So this is, it's, the waves of it are massive. And it's spilling out of just the gender question into other questions. So remember Rachel Dolezal? She was in charge of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. And then it came out that she wasn't actually black, she was white. Remember that? It's a big news story a couple years ago. And then what she said was this, well, I identify as black. Okay. So is race now something that you can just say, I feel this way or that way? Like, I feel like I'm black. Do you actually know what it means to grow up as a black person? Do you really understand that? Right? These are massive questions. Or right now in Norway, there is a Norwegian woman that says she's trans species. She's supposed to be a cat. I'm dead serious. And she is saying, I want, because Norway is a very socialist country, I want you to pay for surgeries that make me more like my species. Like, whoa, okay. Have you heard of B-I-I-D? 
It's a spillover as well. This is called body integrity identity crisis, B-I-I-D. Here's what's happened in these people. They feel like there is a part of their body that doesn't belong attached to them anymore. And they want doctors to remove those parts of their bodies. I mean, this is a real thing that doctors are facing. So my arm, my left arm, I don't think it's part of me. Doctor, remove it. My leg, I don't like my leg. Take off my leg. And the argument they're making is, if you'll change a transgender person's physical body, change me as well. And doctors are like, ah, I don't know what to do on that, right? So this is massive to me, okay? Out of that, there's this group called the TERFs. Have you heard of a TERF? Okay, a TERF is a transgender, exclusive, radical feminist. Anyone heard of them? Here's what they say. So these are feminists who are saying, for a hundred years, we've been fighting for the rights of women on all levels. Divorce rights, rights to vote, you name it, right? Based on our gender. But now with this new movement of transgender, there's no such thing as gender. So all the rights we have fought to, fought for to get rights as women, now they don't mean anything. So what they're saying is transgender women are not women. And now both sides are just digging in because transgender women are like, we are women because that's how we feel. And then the TERFs are saying, no, you're not, right? So it's, it's big, massive battle lines. What worries me the most on this issue is how it's now coming into culture widely. It's now being taught in Oregon schools. So kindergartners are now being taught about gender. And here's, in, I'm not saying this happened in Southern Oregon, but this is happening in schools in Portland. In kindergarten, they will use this right here to teach their kids about gender. This is called the gender unicorn. So kindergartens are now facing like, what's your gender idea, identity? Female, woman, girl, male, man, boy, other gender. What's your gender expression? How, you don't have to express the same way you feel. What's your sex assigned at birth? Which is so random. Why would they do that to you? Right? Physical attracted to? Emotionally attracted. Those can be different. Kindergartners. The toughest issue I faced in kindergarten was after break, would I get the fire truck before Greg? That was it. Now kids are being, hey, facing like gender questions. Are you a boy? Are you a girl? Are you something other? So it's, it's massive to me. This thing is going, and it's this fluid nature of it. Like by the time I finish this talk, the conversation will have shaped in a different way. It's moving that fast, that rapid. It's like, oh, what, what next? So we got to come back to like, as Christians, which I'm guessing the majority of people here are Christians. If you're not, you're welcome here. You're welcome to come afterwards. This is a no doubt difficult conversation. So we'll do a Q&A after this over in our office at 1230. How do we as believers in Jesus walk this out well? What do we believe and how do we walk it out well? So what do we believe on all these questions? Well, guess where we go? Genesis 1, 27. The same place we went last week. Genesis 1 through 3 is a massive, massive, important text. So here's how things begin for you and me. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Gender. If you know Genesis 1, 
What you see is this. There is this thing that God does where he creates unique, different, complementary pairs that are meant to unite back together, right? Heaven and earth, sea and land, sun and moon, God and humans. And this whole uniting of complementary pairs, if you read Genesis 1 through 2, here's what you find. They climax, they find their fulfillment, their biggest picture at the end of chapter 2, when the man and the woman become one. So what you see in Scripture is this. You see with the male and female gender is the brilliance of God's creation is I'm going to create divide, I'm going to create diverse, unlike beings that when they unite and become a whole one, you only see the wholeness when they're together, when they unite and become a whole one, they create something brilliant and beautiful, and out of that comes more beauty and creation. It's this pattern God is showing that these two complementary, diverse two come together, and it's brilliant and beautiful and incredible. And you see that throughout Scripture, that males and females have unique glories that are non-interchangeable. Simple English. Men and women are different. Right? Let me explain that. I won't use pictures, though. I'll explain it a different way. (laughs) So a number of years ago, my wife, my family, we were invited to this person's house for a birthday party. It was a kid's birthday party. And they had this really steep driveway that did these two big 90-degree turns and then went down to a little driveway and then off a cliff. And they had these little bobby cars. Have you heard of a bobby car? They're from Germany, and they're like 18 inches long, 10 inches wide, and full-grown giant German men race them downhill. They're crazy, right? Full leathers and all that kind of stuff. Well, they had a bunch of these cars there, and these kids were racing down this driveway, just having a great time. When all of a sudden, the owner of the house said, all right, now it's time for the dads to do the racing. And I'm like, right on, I'm good. So I get up there, I've never been on one of these before. There's about 10 of us dads. And so we're at the top of this driveway and we take off, we're like this mob and I'm highly competitive. So we come around this corner, the first corner, we all make it. The second corner, I'm in about third position when the two guys in front of me both wipe out on that corner and it's flip-flops, t-shirt, shorts, and asphalt at speed, right? Just, so I just zipped right by them, went down, yeah, what it all. Totally stoked. Then he says, okay, now, ladies, you're moms, you're going now. So the 10 moms get up there, they get in the bobby cars, they start the exact same way. Go down, first 90, they make it, second 90, one of the ladies wipes out, ugly. Guess what the ladies did? That's right, all of them, Oh, are you okay? Ooh, the owl, right? I'm like, Charity, go! Win it! Come on! You can ask her how she's doing later. After you win, we'll take home the trophy, right? Men and women are different, okay? They have non-interchangeable glories. So what God says at the end of chapter two is this, When the two come together, the two diverse, non-interchangeables, when they come together and they create one, God mingles the strength and the glories of the two to make something more brilliant and more beautiful. And we need that. And perhaps you've seen this. There can be men that are very alpha, very domineering, very locker room talkish until you get their wife around, right? A couple of people laugh. <laughs> Don't laugh if your husband's right next to you, right? But the wife, what she does is she tempers those parts of him, 
brings them down into something more beautiful and better because it's that thing that God's doing. The two by themselves, not so good, but together there's a wholeness and a brilliance and a beauty that you don't have any other way. That's the climax of chapters one and two. The two come together, brilliant. Their non-interchangeable glories become something more brilliant. But then what happens? Chapter three. What's chapter three? The fall. So this thing that God had, this brilliant plan of the two creating more beauty and just expanding and becoming more beautiful to all creation, all of a sudden, fractures. Because chapter two, you have treason against God. You have the fall. And then look what happens. Look at chapter three, verse 16. Just the last phrase of it. It says this. This is God speaking to the woman because of sin. And here's the fracture that's going to happen. Your desire shall be for your husband. There's a giant debate on what this means, right? Some scholars means, say that it means that, that a woman's desire will be to have sex with her husband. Most people would say, that's not really a curse, is it? I would curse my wife then, please, right? I don't think that's what it's saying. Because if you look at the next phrase, and he shall rule over you. What is being said here is this. There is a gender struggle that's going to happen now. The thing that I wanted, the oneness and the wholeness and the brilliance and the beauty that could have been there, now when you get married, it won't be, and they lived happily ever after. There's going to be tension in the genders, right? Then what about the body? Look at what God says about the body in verse 19. This is to Adam. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The body, which in chapters one and two was immortal, was supposed to live forever, eating of the tree of life, having life just replenished in this body, now it's cursed, and now the body is dirt. And one day, the earth will want its dirt back. So the beauty of the body in chapters one and two is now broken, and now it becomes like dirt. So what you see is this. Job calls the serpent the chaos monster. The chaos monster, the serpent, now uses gender, uses now, I think, human rights to cre keep creating more chaos in our culture. Locker rooms and questions and bathrooms and just, it, it just amplifying the chaos in gender, in people, in relationships, just totally crazy. So if you zoom out now, you've got now a picture. What God wanted, the fall. Out of that, here's what I believe. There are three ways that people now view the human body. Two of them are not biblical. I think one is. But the way that you view the human body leads to all this disruption, leads to these questions, okay? So the first way that you can view the human body is this. The body is bad, it's just dirt. And if you look at ancient philosophies, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, that's what they believed. So they were dualistic, which means this. The spirit is good, but material stuff like bodies are no good. That the material world was built by a sub-evil deity. The real God is spirit, and he'd only create spiritual stuff. Now, is that true in what we know about the Bible? No, Genesis 2 tells us that God got his hands dirty literally when he created you and me. He formed us out of the dirt, right? But their idea is this. Since spirit is good, physical is bad, the body is bad, and what that means is this, you can do whatever you want with your body. Since it's already no good, since it's already destroyed and decaying, do anything with your body, because the real you is spirit. 
And whatever the body does is not you. So if you're sinning, it's not actually you that's sinning. It's the body that's sinning, so it's not actually you. So be as dirty and nasty and gross as you want to be. And you read about ancient Greeks, and that's what they were, because that philosophy matters. It's kind of childish, isn't it? That's not actually me sinning. That's my body sinning. Really? Here's my best way of explaining it. So my daughter, Bella, when she was 18 months old, we bought her an ATV, one of those electric ATVs, and it was a policeman model, so it had a siren on it. Note to young parents, nothing with sirens, nothing, does not matter. So she's up in her room one day, and I don't know, caffeine headache or something I had. So she's up in her room driving this ATV, and she's pressing that siren over and over and over and over and over. And I'm just praying for a dead battery. But man, it didn't work. It was like a Tesla or something. So finally, I'm like, okay. I go upstairs. I'm like, Bella. And she's sitting there in a little ATV. She's got her stuffed tiger between her handlebars, and she's just stoked. I said, I am so glad you love your ATV. That makes me happy. But let's lay off on the siren for a while. Don't push the siren anymore, okay? Okay, Daddy. I walk out, turn the corner. I'm not more than five feet from the door. I'm like, I go back in there just in time to see her saying, bad tiger, don't push the siren. That's Greek philosophy. You have it right there. <laughs> Bad body. Don't do that again, right? It's not me. So that's this idea. Sometimes it can creep into Christianity where we make this two-tiered thing about, hey, spiritual stuff is good, but body stuff is not good. That is not Jesus. That is Plato. That's what it is. Don't, that's not true at all. God, when he created the world, what did he say? It's good. It's good. Body's not bad. That was his body's good. But there's an idea. No, body's bad. It's just dirt. Number two, probably more relevant for us, the body is Legos. Build it. So if you look at our culture today, I would say this. The, old, the, 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 the Greek was dualistic in spirit and body. Today we are dualistic in another way dualistic in the true self and biology. And so what we are saying today is this, whatever I think my true self is, my biology must conform to it. And that's where all these discussions are coming from. So right now in America, to me it's this, we think the body is like Legos. And because it's Legos, we can build it any way we want. And so the body should look a certain way toned, tanned, right? Just this exact way. We should make and shape our bodies the way that we want. But if you look underneath this whole American culture right now, there is a hatred of the human body. We hate the aging process. We think only a 20-year-old is an ideal body. We hate any other body but a 20-year-old body, right? That's really what we do. So out of that comes thousands of unnecessary plastic surgeries bulimia, anorexia. You got men that are taking so many steroids because they think they're supposed to be this massive kind of creation that they're killing, they hate their body. You are destroying your body with that. And they can never get big enough. I have talked to men there. I'm like, dude, you're a mountain. No, I'm I'm like, man, one of my muscles isn't big enough. You're "You're insane. It's, It's hatred of body. It's really underneath it, they actually hate their body. And it's sad to me. Okay, so, so you have this idea now that the body is Legos. Let's build it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And so now, if the true self feels like I'm a girl, then my biology, my body must conform to that. If the true self feels like this arm doesn't actually belong on me, then the true self must conform to it. And it gets weird Has anyone heard of incels, I-N-C-E-L-S? They're a group of people, men. It stands for involuntary celibates. And so they feel like they can't get girls because they don't look a certain way. 
and they do the craziest surgeries. They go to this guy, he's in Indianapolis, he's the most world-renowned for it. Jaw implants, like make your jaw look like Superman's jaw, just insane stuff. And if you read some of their literature, they hate the bodies of women. At the end of the day, they hate women, and they're violent toward them. All this built around this idea that, hey, these bodies are just biochemical machines that we move in any way that we want to move. And what's happening to girls in this is heartbreaking to me as a father of three girls. So I have a book. It's called The Sexualizing of Girls. It's one of the saddest books I've read. The statistics on how girls feel about themselves. How many 10-year-old and younger girls think, I need plastic surgery? At 10. That's insane. The majority of teenage girls, talk to your teenage girls. The majority of teenage girls hate their own bodies. There's some, oh, I hate that. I hate that about myself. And how hard is that? Because they're being fed this image, Lego should look like this. If you don't look like this Lego, then you're not actually real. So the value of the body intrinsically has been erased from our culture, and now the value of the body is only if it looks this certain way. Then it's valuable. Anybody that does not look like that is invaluable. That's not scriptural. Not at all. So this new build it thing, what it has done to us is it's made this hatred of the body. So you have, a couple years ago, Sarah Silverman, who's a comedian, uh, she said this. She said, since abortion is legal in America, it would be insane not to use fetal tissue for science and education use. So what she's saying is this. We recycle cans. Why shouldn't we recycle baby bodies? Right? So it's just another commodity now. The body is just another commodity, just Legos. Use it however you want. Let's build with it. Let's make things out of it. Right? That's the idea behind those things. And to me, it's the callousness of our culture now. So that's why we get videos of people buying and selling baby body parts like it's some kind of a deal over a table. Like, oh, yeah, you know, how much are you going to me for the body parts? It's insanity. But it's all a product of this, hey, the body's just Legos. Build it however you want to build it. And now we're erasing any differences between the genders. So in 2011, every federal form said, we won't use genders anymore. So if you apply for a passport or if you apply for um, financial aid for a university, they're saying, don't put male, female there. Don't put mother or father if it's a child's passport. Don't use any of those terms. Now, why would that matter anymore? Because if you can take away the role of a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, who gets to step into that role then? The state does. And so now the state is saying, you know what? For the betterment of children, we'll counsel them on their gender. For the betterment of children, we'll give them drugs to block puberty or to help them transition. If you don't believe me that this is happening, right now there's a case, came out of Minnesota. It just made it to the Supreme Court because a Minnesota school district helped a young man transition, a child, I should say, transition without telling his parents. So it's here. And it's this idea that, really, the body's just Lego, so let's build it any way we want. And however you're feeling, your biology needs to match up with how you feel. There's a third way, and I think it's the biblical way. And it's this. The body is a glorious ruin. It's a temple that got decayed. And what it needs is not to be Lego and built any way possible. It needs to be restored back to its original condition. That's actually what we're looking for. So I put this like this. Right now, I think this is biblical, we live in a Genesis 3 fallen world with a Genesis 1 blueprint looking for 
a Revelation 22 restored future. And because of that, because of that big picture of the Bible, what that means is this, there's tension in that. We have this blueprint we know it should be, but we're in this fallen condition with this yearning for something else out there. Okay? So let me read you one text that I think backs this up. It's from Jesus. It's Matthew 19. Long discussion Jesus has on marriage and sexuality and gender. And then he says this, verse 11. But he said to them, not Everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs. You guys know what eunuchs are? Good. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, let the one who's able to receive this receive it. Here's what Jesus says. I get that the body's fallen. That there are some people born eunuchs. Today we would say intersex. And about one in 5,000 births, you guys probably know this, babies are born with ambiguous genitalia. They don't, the doctor, nobody knows, is it a boy or a girl? And so for years, what had to happen was they had to make very painful, difficult choices about what do we do here? Sometimes they made them incorrectly. No doubt about it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that happens. That stuff can happen. And it's sad. But it's part of the fallenness of these glorious ruins, right? So all of us at some level Feel this tension. We have this blueprint, this ideal, but we have this fallenness and we have this yearning for something better. And it's something that as humans alone, we struggle with. Like animals don't have these problems, you know that? They don't have the, the body issues that we do. They don't, they don't have this kind of drive in us. Have you ever heard the term like as happy as a clam? Right? What do clams do? They filter shark muck. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fish poop, and they're happy, right? They don't have the same issues with us. You give some, a horse some hay, he's happy. You give a goat an old pair of jeans to chew on, happy. We've had tons of goldfish. I've never seen a goldfish be like, man, I'm so flabby. What is wrong with me? Look at that belly on me, man. I got to back off. It's unique to us. Here's why. All of us have what I call an echo of Eden. We know we are created for a glory. We know we are created for greatness. We know we are created for a potential that right now feels out of reach for us. And that tension is like, ugh. Some cultures then say, well, it's a mind problem. Some cultures say it's a spirit problem. We as a culture, because our bodies are so prominent, say it's a body problem. So we have all this stuff now, body modification, transgender stuff, issues. We have all that because we have said, well, it's a problem with my body. If I could just change my body the way I want my body to be, everything would be right. So we focus in hardcore on our bodies. That's what we do. It's easy to see it there. So I think transgender people, and I've had the chance to talk to some of them, people that struggle with gender dysphoria, I think maybe they feel this tension more sharply than us. And the way that they, they, they feel that, I can agree with them. I quote to them Romans 8.20. Creation has been subject to decay. Absolutely. But I disagree with the way that it's walked out. I don't think we walk it out that way. So yeah, you can see there's fallenness to us. But how do we walk out that fallenness? Here's what I'd say you do. Number one, here's how you walk this out. You have conversations with your kids, especially. I tell parents this on a whole bunch of ideas. I say, either you will talk to your kids or Google will. Kids just Google things now. That's the way they're trained. They get with their friends, they get their buddies, they Google their questions. And if they Google transgender, they're going to get the gender unicorn. I want to front load that. I want to have these conversations. I want to be talking to my kids, okay? So right now, here's what culture is saying to our kids. 
what you think, what you think, is your true sexual identity. Conform your body to it. That's our culture right now. It's blaring that message to our children. Whatever you think you are is what you are. So now make, build your body the way you want it to be then. Culture. Here's the Bible. The Bible says, your body is your true sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. Very different. Very different. And I have studies from, there's this famous study from Sweden where they looked at people that had transitioned and happiness indexes and suicide rates and depression. And they, that study says it didn't help. It didn't help. And there's other studies, of course, and you can go back and forth on studies. But there's a TED Talk that I thought was really good. It's by Paula Johnson. You can look it up. She's a cardiologist. She said this, and it went viral because of this. She said, listen, male and femaleness goes down to the cellular, molecular level of a body. Every cell has a sex, and it's male or female. And that heart transplants, if you took a heart out of a guy and put it into a girl, it's less successful than female to female because of that. That science agrees. So we need to have conversations with our kids. And here's what we need to stop doing. We need to stop doing this to boys that are sensitive and saying to them, quit acting like a girl. We need to stop saying to girls that like to run and fish and hunt and climb trees and make bow and arrows, we need to stop saying to them, hey, quit acting like a boy. These are cultural stereotypes. They're not biblical. In fact, I would challenge you. Find somewhere in the Bible that the Bible lays out, this is what a man and this is what a girl should be like. Trust me, you won't find it. It doesn't exist. In fact, if you read Proverbs 31, which is about the ideal woman, you contextualize Proverbs 31, she would be a CEO of IBM today, right? She's brilliant. Just read the stories. They're telling you something. Read about Esau and Jacob. Were they different kind of men? Right? Esau's born. He comes out. And what do they name him? What does Esau mean? Harry. The dude is so hairy when he's born, they're like, bro, you're hairy. That is a pelt, man. And he grows up and he's Mr. Outdoor Man. He hunts. He fishes, he drives a four-wheel drive, he burns stuff in the woods, he eats hamburger helper out of a giant aluminum pot. Right? He's that guy. He believes NASCAR is actually a sport. <laughs> right? He's right over here. How about Jacob? The Bible just says this. It says, Jacob loved the tents. Jacob, modern translation, hanging out at the mall. Playing polo. Wearing V-neck shirts that are way too low of a V-neck. Bro, don't do that. Man, get a button on that thing, please. Right? He's drinking Don Perignon and eating caviar and Ritz crackers with Grey Poupon, right? Sticking his little pinky out. If that's you, praise God, you're in the Bible, man. Awesome. So that family is Ted Nugent moves into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Right? Who does God select out of those two brothers? Jacob. Jacob. How about David? King David. We name our kids after King David. Did you know this about him? Samuel came to David's dad named Jesse in 1 Samuel 16 and says, I'm going to anoint one of your boys king. Call all your boys in. So Jesse, dad's like, yeah, calls all of his boys in. And the story goes, Samuel's before them, and he's praying, God, is this the one? God says, no. God, is this the one? God says, no. God, this one looks like it. Look at him. He's a stallion. Is him? No. All the way down to the last one, God, is, this must be him. It's the last one. No, it's not him. So Samuel's like, what, what's up? 
Jesse, did you call your boys in? Of course he called all of his boys in, right? This is one's going to be king. He wouldn't leave out one of his boys, would he? Yeah, he left out David. Why? Ah, oh, David, goodness. Out there in the fields playing that harp all the time. Ah, oh. writing poetry. I don't even understand the stuff he writes, man. It makes no sense to me. Dancing, he dances around these leotards. Oh, they're so embarrassing. Golly. Oh. Don't call him in here. He will embarrass me. I'll come in here dancing and quoting poetry. Who does God choose? The dancing, harp playing poet, whom we call King David today. We have to be very careful of these things. Like talking to your kids, that's a stereotype. Don't, don't worry about stereotypes. Enjoy life. And be very careful, right? What scares me today is now we're taking little kids, showing them the gender unicorn, getting them all confused, and then counseling them and giving them drugs when they're too little. To me, that's freaky. So if you don't know, you can Google her, but her name is Phoebe Walker Bridge. She's one of the actresses on the, on the show Fleabag. And she has this article where she said, listen, if I would have been born today, I would have transitioned to be a boy. Because growing up, I like to go outside. I like to climb trees. I like to do all that kind of stuff. And I saw all my girlfriends that were playing with dolls and fluffy stuff, and I wanted nothing to do with them. So she said, I thought I was a boy. And at five years old, she started telling her mom and dad, call me Alex, don't call me Phoebe. But her parents walked it out well with her. And she said, at 11 years old, I just snapped out of it. Like, oh, okay, no, I'm actually a girl. But if that would have happened to me, have you seen the, the reality show I Am Jazz? The five-year-old, that, yeah, that's what happens now. It's insanity to me, insanity. And here, I have a quote from the, it's from the College of American Pediatricians. This is a group of people that are watching this thing happen and this is in their DSMV, their, their like, whatever, manual. And they say this, 98% of boys that struggle with gender and 88% of girls that struggle with gender will just grow out of it. And yet, what are we doing now? We're stopping them from growing. The, the vast majority will just grow out of it. Now we're stopping them. To me, that's crazy. It's crazy. We shouldn't do that. Have good conversations with your kids. Have good conversations with people. Well, Matt, I'm in here and I struggle with my gender. What about me? Well, in America, they say there's almost a million people that have true gender dysphoria. So what about me? Well, I believe that you are, like my quote was, you're to allow your true sexual identity is your biology, is your body, and we allow our minds to be conformed to that. And what I share with people that struggle with this is this. The very first Gentile convert to Jesus, the very first one that says, I'm going to follow Jesus, was an Ethiopian eunuch. We would call him today gender questioning or gender queer or some kind of word like that, right? I don't think that's an accident. I think Jesus is saying, my love, my grace, my life is big enough for all. Come, be healed. We're all glorious ruins. We all need to be healed. We all do. And even wider than that, I think there is a mass of us that struggle with body issues, especially women. It really affects women a hatred of their own body because of this, this Lego stereotype that does not exist. It's a fantasy. What about you? Let me give you one final text. It's the Song of Solomon. If you don't know the Song of Solomon, read it. It's a brilliant love letter between Solomon and his Shulamite bride. I want you to see something. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Look at this. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, 
Because the son has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Context. 3,000 years ago, if you were really tan, that meant you were poor, you were working in the fields. That rich women stayed in the castle and did nothing. So she's saying, people look at me like today, we love a good tan. Back then it was, oh, you're poor. So she feels like, I'm poor. And then she says, I'm having to help other people look good. But my own vineyard, I haven't been able to keep. My nails aren't done. My hair's a wreck. And I feel flabby because I haven't been in the gym for a long time. Okay, that's, so don't look at me, I'm ugly. What she's saying is don't look at me, I'm ugly. She's got body issues. But look at chapter two, verse one. It's the same woman speaking. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. She goes from, don't look at me, I'm ugly, to now, I'm a rose of Sharon. I'm a lily of the valley. I'm beautiful. What happened to her? Go back. The king started to talk to her. Listen to what he says. Verse 9. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. He starts to speak complimenting her. Now, today we probably wouldn't call our wives a horse, right? Like, man, you eat like a horse, woman. You're going to kill me financially. But back then, this was a compliment. It was seen as, ah, that's awesome. Your cheeks are lovely. Verse 15, I love this. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Why does he say that twice? Because women want to hear it more than once. Right? Because of this Lego mentality, we have to battle that with our words. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful. Third time, my beloved, truly delightful. Why does he change from, man, I'm ugly. Don't look at me too. I'm a lily of the valley. Because the king said so. And if you look at chapter seven, Solomon goes item by item, looking down from head to toe on his bride, saying each part of her, oh, you're stunning. Why? Because the body matters. Your body matters. And I'm telling you, piece by piece, I am floored by you. Now, it's very racy, that text is. Don't read it unless you're married. It's a good way to get kids to read the Bible. And some of it is cultural, Right? In verse 2, he, he says, your belly is like a heap of wheat. I have learned, don't compare a woman's belly to a heap of anything. Just simple. Don't do that. But the idea is, your body matters and you're beautiful to me. You're stunning to me. Okay? Her king said, you're beautiful. Who you listen to matters. Who you have on your Instagram account that you're watching and following matters. It begins to affect the way that you see yourself. If you are a follower of Jesus in here, the most powerful voice you are ever to listen to is your King Shepherd Jesus. You listen to his voice, and he says, You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. He says, though your sins were like scarlet, if you feel like you've blown it, if you feel like you're an ugly, good-for-nothing person, he would say, let us reason together. Even though your sins were like scarlet, they're now white as snow. He would say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He would say, God demonstrated his love towards you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's the voice you listen to. 
And when you listen to your shepherd king's voice, what happens to you is this. You become bulletproof. Whatever culture is trying to tell you and conform you to and bombard you with, you become bulletproof against that stuff. You know your value and no one can take it away from you. You listen to his voice. That's the key. The body matters 100%. It's the seed that's going to echo into eternity. And when it comes to our body, we listen to Jesus. We listen to Jesus. And Jesus says this to all of us. Come dine. That you matter so much to me that you can come and eat at my table. And that's what we do every single Sunday. Because it's a way that we preach the good news to ourselves. Jesus wants to have a meal with you because he says you're beautiful. That you matter to me. And so Jesus today, on all these issues, on all these questions, we pray that we could bring them today to your table, that we could lay them before you if we struggle, if we question, if we wonder. And we pray that you would give us answers. Help us as a church to be a community that walks this out well. Knowing that biology matters, the body matters. And our minds, by your strength, can be brought into harmony with our bodies. Help us to not just know your ethics, but also your compassion and your love. Help us to eat and to drink of that today. And I ask this in your name. Amen.